Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 259, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. Said Golden here with the duck, Kirk Bowes, and wow, always a pleasure to chop it up with Longhorn Royalty. Rob Babers, he's on weekdays with Mike Harge on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7 on 104.9 The Horn. Rod B, what's, what's shaking? Thanks, gentlemen, for having me on. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. I'm excited. Uh, so, man, let's just let's get around to it. I know we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Let's hit the ground running. So, yeah, let's go. <laughs> big news, big news on the 40. Six assistant coaches get big raises, two of them <laughs> up to a million dollars per cash and checks, which is mm. like cash and checks. Yeah, no doubt. But the optics, maybe not the best after a five and seven year. Uh, what's your take on that, Rod B? It is very bad optics. It is. I totally get that. But it was necessary because, uh, you know, Texas, it's easy to negative recruit, negatively recruit against Texas right now. All right. So negative recruiting is a real thing. But against Texas, because of the draft recently, no players in the draft, uh, you know, whether you're talking about the five and seven season, losing that home to Kansas, there are a lot of things you can throw out there to a young man and go, oh, you're thinking about Texas? You realize. They lost to Kansas at home. You realize <laughs> they went five and seven. You realize, you know, you can throw out the, the monkey gate, all types of things, right? Wow. So because of that, you also can point out the, you know, the, the possible job instability, if you will, of the coaching staff. Because after five and seven, everybody assumes, oh, Sark won't be there long and neither will the coaching staff. He's already made some changes, going to make more changes. So it just gives you the perception or at least a benefit from the perception that mm-hmm. you have stability. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to keep this coaching staff and that, yeah, the five and seven season happened, but that's not something that teams can use to negatively recruit against Texas because, you know, Hey, they already got contract extensions. They're here to stay. It's, it's like, and everybody, everybody negatively recruits, everybody negative recruiting. Everybody does it. It's something that it's like peeing in the shower. It's everybody does, it, uh, but nobody wants to admit to it. So <laughs> Texas does it too, but it's hard for Texas to combat that with the reality of, you know, all the stuff that's happened on the field. Well, all I know is the last coach to go five and seven and lose to Kansas didn't get a raise, but I, I, I I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> hey, ah. Exactly. See, okay. the, the jokes are too easy. The it's jokes right too damn easy. Oh. Charlie Strong They're too like, easy. Man, <laughs> I, I would have lost to Kansas a lot earlier. Exactly. Man, thought, wait till the last thought. season. I, I, I got to tell you, I, 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 you know, I was on Twitter. They, I wrote it. I was like, yeah, where's the motivation? You getting paid, yeah. sleeping on those silk sheets. I mean, Jim Banks getting $1.5 million a year to coach. Hey, he deserved. That's, that's 500000 less 
Then, then, then Green Bay just paid Rich Basaccia, and he's in the NFL. Ooh. And oh, wow. so, uh, yeah, so Jeff Banks making NFL money now. Yeah. And he okay. ain't got to win. So I understand the negative recruiting. I don't like the look. And, you know, coming off the draft, and they did have any oh, yeah. picked. And Wachita Baptist had somebody pick. Kennesaw State, <laughs> Yale. All of those teams were goes on. filling yeah, up their yearbooks with NFL draft picks, and 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 the Longhorns came up, came up there. Tell us about what I mean. Not that you know, because you played in an era when first round picks were falling out of the sky. Big Mike Williams, and <laughs> oh man, why and said playing Jammer, it was all over the place. All these guys were falling out of the yeah. sky. What does it? do for those optics when 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 the Texas Longhorns go a whole weekend in Vegas with no picks? Uh unfortunately it's not surprising, right? That that's the I think that's the sad thing. A Longhorn fans weren't surprised by it. And and you know we've seen it happen, you know, uh what in 2014, 14. I believe it was. Yeah. So unfortunately and, and by the way we know now look at LSU, right? I think LSU had 10 players drafted. Just oh, yeah. because your program is dysfunctional and because you lost a lot of games doesn't athlete necessarily mean you don't athlete. have right yeah. NFL caliber. So Texas has two problems. The, the one problem is they can't translate any of the resources they have to wins on the field, really, or at least an adequate number of wins on the field. But also, man, where's the NFL talent, right? And it should be an NFL rich program. I just put out the stat the other day. You know, after the draft, I've been tracking the Houston and uh, DFW areas. Uh, and then in the last three years, the DFW, uh, you know, greater Metroplex, and uh, they've had 38 players drafted uh, in that time span, which is more than every state except for four states. And I think it's uh, California, Texas, Georgia, and Florida? Florida, I believe, is in yeah. that. Yes, Florida. I mean, those are the three. Uh, and Greater Houston in that time span has had uh, 33 players drafted in that time span. And they, if you look at, I believe, all but five states, uh, you got to throw Louisiana in there with that additional four. Uh, they've had more draft picks in all but five states. And those are right here. Those are the two kind of football-heavy uh, uh, talent areas. Fertile. Yeah, fertile recruiting grounds right here in Texas. Uh, and Texas should be not – you can't dominate that anymore because you're not – Mac Brown dominated like nobody's business. Nobody will ever dominate like that again. But you got to have your your market share of that, right? you got to own – got to get own 50 to 60% of H-Town just because it's Texas and DFW too. If you can do that, that's some of your NFL picks right there. Problem is they can't really say right now that they necessarily own uh, or have a majority share of Dal- Dallas and the DFW area or Houston as well. And Louisiana, listen, that's, I'll give Sark credit for this stuff. He's working hard, right? I just, you know, Georgia's become the new kind of fertile recruiting ground that popped up out of nowhere. You can track all these things kind of based on population booms and, and, and growth areas, right? That's why Texas, right? Fastest growing cities in the country. Look at Central Texas, now having some of those players. Uh, but Georgia is now, I think it's actually ahead of California in terms wow. of producing uh, NFL talent in the last three years. It's been unbelievable, man. You got to go check it out. It's, it's fantastic. It's crazy to watch. Yeah. But that's a short choice hire. 
that's why it was so strategically a, a great move in recruiting as well, because you need a foothold there, right? You need somebody that can that can relate to the you know, Georgia football, high school football coaches there. You need somebody with a name there that's recognizable. You have that into short choice. And then you can look at Louisiana, Brandon Harris, I believe, who is, I forgot his official title, but he's basically kind of the guy that sets your recruiting board um, and he's your recruiting czar. He is, you know, a guy that's got heavy ties in Louisiana. And Louisiana is a football mecca, a third-hour recruiting ground. So Sark knows what he's doing. Sark sees it. He sees it. You don't have to tell him. But uh, he's got to do a better job in Houston and DFW. Got to. Yeah. Hey, um, let's put it out there. This is not Sark's fault. He just got here. He just got here. So, but from 2001 to 2009, Mac Brown's teams won at least 10 games a year. Mm-hmm. And Rod, Rod, you never had a you ne- you you had what one one year where you didn't win ten? Uh, I had two. I had nine wins, I believe, my first two years, and I had eleven wins mm-hmm. my last two years. I believe that's how I went. Yeah. So so you want to yeah. you want at least ten games every year. Nat, yeah. uh, Natty in 05, or a Cotton Bowl in 02, two Rose Bowls, a Fiesta Bowl, and first <laughs> round picks out the Gazoo. Now, it's a direct correlation. I mean, this is not rocket science. It's not. I mean, the decline starts in 2010. Uh, Rod quits the sideline <laughs> show. <laughs> is that on the timeline now? Uh, somewhere in the timeline. It might make the column. And, 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 and they lose Alabama, and, and Mac Brown admittedly tells us, it took me two years to get over that, and it sure felt like it in 2010 when it went five and six. And so they haven't had a double-digit winning regular season since the Alabama loss. And so um, is that that an indictment on Tom Herman? Because Tom Herman won games, and Tom Herman got guys drafted. So – uh, or is it just a fundamental cultural slump for the University of Texas? No, that's a great question. I, I think for Tom Herman, uh, unfortunately, because he, he you know, like you said, he won games, all right? And he, he if he would have had a, a more linear, right, trajectory and progression, I think it would have helped him. You know, 2017, then having the big year in 2018, and then we're back. Don't forget, on the timeline, we're, we're back. back. We're Don't back. Put that on the timeline. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that summarized the mindset of we did it, uh, the arrogance and the hubris of, I've accomplished it. I did what none of the other coaches could do. Tom Herman solved it. It's done. You're welcome, Texas. Took me two years. I don't know what the hell y'all were talking about. And we knew that, you know, the culture at Texas had been very toxic. And there were a lot of issues that were, you know, by that were left by Matt Brown and then issues left by Charlie Strong's regime. And those things just piled up and piled up. And I think for Sark, my concern is that we've had cultural issues here at Texas. We all know that, right? It's entitlement's been a big issue. Uh, hey, I just remember Mauro Ojimo. We just heard him talking about the, the me culture over the we culture in the locker room, right? Um, so there are still some of those issues. He got silenced. They're just like, hey, 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 hey. Only, only good stories, <laughs> only good stories. Right, right. <laughs> Don't you know that Mauro, Mauro Ojimo has been kicking the crap out of those $50,000 offensive <laughs> linemen, and he's just tired. I mean, how many times can he kick your butts and, and, and they're talking crap and they're going, hey, I got 50 grand. What you got? 
You know that's going on. You know that's going on. I don't blame Moro. I don't blame. I don't. I I love me some Moro Ojimo, and I love him even more. But my what the point that I was trying to make is that you know those issues still exist because you can't solve those things in one off season and in one year. And obviously, five and seven losing to to Kansas and maybe losing the locker room a little bit. That all I think is an example of the toxic culture that still exists. I think now with name him Jalakis and the transfer portal now being added to the equation, I think it's tougher now to build a quality culture than ever before. I don't know if it's, it's, it's really tough to do it now. Um, so I, I, it's a challenge for Sark. That's going to be a hell of a challenge, man, because now coach says something I don't like. I can hit the portal. Coach wants to bench me to bring out the best in me that want me to compete more. I can hit the portal, uh, you know, compensation. I got, I got money. I got, you know, it's a, it's a lot. I'm glad the young men are getting get the free market. It's a free market and God bless it. I'm happy for it, but it's hard to build a culture when you throw a ton of money now into the scene and a ton of player freedom. And the coach doesn't have that ability to provide the structure he did before. Cause these young men now they, you know, they got a lot of power. They got a lot of power. Coaches aren't accustomed to that. They got opportunity and yep. that, but it, it's on an individual basis, like you said, transfer portal, uh, immediate eligibility, mm-hmm. NIL. You know, we see that. And it is. It's hard to sell the whole collectivity. The cohesion, you know, can take a hit. And and with Moro getting silenced, I don't know how the rest of the locker, you know, feels that. It's like, oh, I better not speak the truth or, you know, I'll be banished from talking to the media, which hurts their NIL. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, and I thought that was a mistake by, by Sark. Uh, I want to ask you, Rod, you mentioned the recruiting, and that's obviously the lifeblood. The other is development. You look at Texas A&M, you know, had the killer number one recruiting class, although they're eight five-star or 15 five-star. It's like the best class <laughs> since recruiting began. Uh, it is. They only had four players drafted, which I think surprised some people that, you know, Jalen Watermeyer, you know, ran a slow 40 time and get drafted. Very and slow. So, you know, it's about development. Well, I want to ask you about the value of the FCC in recruiting. You think we're going to see that? Uh, and he had a good recruiting class. Are we seeing yeah. that already? And will Texas realize the benefits of being in the SEC before they get there and before they've even played or won a game in the SEC? Yeah, uh, that was, you know, once again, something you could obviously negatively recruit against Texas. You know, they don't play the best brand of football. They're in the Big 12. The Big 12 has the fewest players drafted year right. after year. I don't think this, I think this year they had more than the ACC or something like No, no, actually, it was the Pac-12. Was it ACC? It was one of them. They, they were fourth. I believe that. They were fourth among the Power 5 conferences. They weren't last. Fewer, uh, but fewer usually, teams, though. Fewer teams. And fewer teams. Good point and they have Kansas. So, Kansas now. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, there are all these things they throw out there. I, I think for Texas, now you just have to start thinking on your recruiting on a broader scale. Um, nobody will ever rule the Iron Throne of Texas like Mac Brown did. Those days are done. Those It's it's over. Um, and that was a beautiful time when Texas got the best athletes in the state of Texas and everybody else got the leftovers. And Texas didn't really have a recruiting peer in the state at the time. Uh, yeah. that, that happened. That, that lasted for like 10 years with right. Mac Brown just calling the shots taking the best athletes in Texas and saying every now and then he would lose a guy. But for the most part, he just got the best athletes in the state mm-hmm. year after year. And as I just pointed out, the stats tell you that, oh, those will be a bunch of NFL guys right. in that group. And Max sparingly, he would go, you know, kind of piecemeal, get guys from out of the state, your Bo Scapes and, you know, your Chris Sims, 
and he right. would try he would try to build a class on that. I think for Sark, he's going to be recruiting outside the state a lot more just because he understands he doesn't own the state like he used to. He can't brag about being the best football program in the state for 10 years like Matt could do. Mm-hmm. Right? Matt's like, I'm the best football program in the state of Texas. And I was like, yeah, actually, you are. There's no yeah. debate about that. Sark can't say that, right? Baylor can say they're better. and m can say they're better. You know, mm-hmm. so you can't just say I'm the best football program in the state. UTSA, Don't you want to go? UTSA. UTSA. Oh, wow. Practice wow. <laughs> Grayler. Wow. Wow. Hey, exactly. So I think that's why the SEC brand will help Texas because now you just the, the best recruiting in the country is in SEC country, guys. We all yeah. know that, right? It's right. Florida and Georgia and Louisiana, Mississippi, all right there together. And uh, that's where Sark's now going to start digging into a little bit more. In addition to, like I said, having your market share of Texas, you're not going to dominate it like Mac did. But, hey, man, you need to own at least 50 percent of Houston and at least 50 percent of DFW because those are in the state of Texas. And you need to right now. You need to make sure that that is your one of your top priorities because that there is they're so talent rich guys. It is I mean those are in terms of most talent rich NFL uh, NFL talent rich areas. Those are probably both top ten in the in the country. And no, right. they're not even you know they're not even states. They're cities. All right. Let me ask you, uh, spring game. Yeah, I got people coming from my throat because I I basically said they bought Quinn yours and he's going to start. I I'm too old to mince words, and so <laughs> I just we did radio together, and I had a little bit more of a governor back then, but I I'm old school now, and I just yeah man, he didn't come he didn't come here to compete. He came here mm-hmm. to start. He came here to start. What, you see, what did you see from him? And is he that big fish that Sark can build around? these next two or three years is does he have the ability to like Chris Sims did to bring other athletes to Texas based on his talent? Uh, Oh yes, he does. Right. Cause I will say this, it is an attractive offense to play in. If you are a wide receiver, a skill position guy, your running back Sark always says he thinks the running back is the most underutilized position in the passing game on offense. So he wants his, uh, his running backs to be utilized in the passing game a lot, even downfield in the passing game. Um, he's talked about how his wide receivers, he wants them, he calls it his run the daylight philosophy. He wants them catching the ball on the move so they can get yards after the catch because he's a, he's a big game hunter. He wants explosive big plays downfield. And so I think for running backs and wide receivers, it's going to be easy to attract talent there. But what Quinn Ewers does for the offense, and if you look at his rate of development, and this is, and I, first of all, I agree with you. I, I think it's, it's already, you know, it's already set that he is going to start the first game of the season, in my opinion, but I know they're carrying out the competition and I think it's, it's good to carry the, yes, it's, it's good to carry it out because let, because I think we all agree Quinn Ewers is going to win the quarterback competition. Um, and if he wins the quarterback competition, then great. Then no, he wins the locker room in the process. That's, this is part of it, right? Because you, you just anoint him and give it to him. There's some in the locker room who maybe uh, you know, like, oh man, I don't like that. I don't like that. I have to compete for my people spot. People like Hudson Card, for instance. Well, yeah, exactly. But everybody else is like, no, I have to compete for my spot, man. Everybody should compete for their spot. So I like that it's open. Um, even if it is a close competition, I think he'll call it for Quinn Ewers. And mm-hmm. history tells us that quarter that coaches, let's take Mac Brown's history. It tells us that coaches will oftentimes, more oftentimes than not side with the quarterback with the highest upside in a competition like this, right? Mm-hmm. Go look at, you know, going back to Chris Sims, Major Rapp White, 
you know, Chris Sims got the benefit of the doubt from Mac Brown initially because he's like, nah, I'm going to go with the quarterback with the higher upside. Right. Whether right. you agree with that or not, that's a different discussion. Right. Um, he did. Exactly. But you don't get you don't get Roy Williams. You don't get B.J. Johnson and you don't get Sloan Thomas, three five star receivers in the same class. If Major Applewhite's your guy. Wow. Right. They came they came to play with Chris Sims. That's just the reality. We all know that they came to play with Chris Sims. So that's that's part of what you're talking about with Quinn Ewers. You're going to get he was like, no, I want to go play with that guy um, because he can make throws that other quarterbacks cannot. So I think if you're looking at, you know, kind of the history of it, and then we go look at Vince Young and Chance Mock. Chance Mock was a decent quarterback. He wasn't a terrible, wasn't a, he wasn't some kind of just jabroni out there. He was a, a good quarterback, and that was a close competition. But Matt Brown sided with the quarterback with the higher upside because he is going to lift the entire ceiling of your entire team overall. And he's going to attract other guys, right? He's got he's that true alpha of the alpha males. He's that guy. And the only time Matt Mack didn't do it was Colt McCoy. And Cole McCoy and Jevin Steen was different because Cole McCoy won the job. Even Matt said it in the offseason, mostly because he won the team in the offseason because Matt said guys were coming to him telling him, mm-hmm. Matt, it's Cole. I think it's – I'm just telling you, Cole is he's – the, he's the guy. He's, he's taking his leadership to another level. Hudson Carter, I think, had that opportunity maybe in the offseason and maybe he did or didn't. I don't really know if he took, you know, that opportunity and maximized it. Uh, but I'm with you, said I think most of the time you're going to – bet on the quarterback with the higher upside, even if you got some growing pains to deal with along the way, because it'll attract other players who want to play with that quarterback with the higher upside. And ultimately, man, in this offense, he can make throws. And Hudson Card can make these throws too. But if you look at the rate of development, Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card shouldn't be close. Hudson Card should be leading this competition. And it should be a clear, uh, you know I mean? It should be a clear uh, lead. It should be something that's right now not that close. And from you, your, from you're reports, you mean yours should be leading, right? I think Hudson Carr should be leading. Oh, he's oh you do? Yeah. Well, no, no, he has he's a better screen. He's got more, he's more familiar with the offense. He's played in the offense. He's got better chemistry with the wide receivers because he knows them too. Um, right. He's got a comfort zone here at home because he's been on the campus and he's been a student already. There's a lot of things that he should already be, right, in my opinion, he should mm-hmm. already develop a baseline for and that's why if you look at the rate of development, we can all predict that Quinn Ewers will surpass Hudson Card because mm-hmm. it shouldn't be this close already with, with Quinn Ewers just, just actually being introduced to the playbook. He just got the playbook. He just got it not too long ago. Right. right? So Hudson Card should be out there putting the ball in the money, delivering it. She'd have great pocket presence and poise. He knows the offensive line. He knows where the holes are there. He has the scouting report on all the players. Quinn Ewers don't have all that yet. So That's Hudson Card can't have the advantage right now. He's right. never going to have the advantage. And I thought he looked better in the spring game. Quinn Ewers had the one touchdown bomb, bomb, which was the highlight of the spring. We all agree mm-hmm. on that. But Hudson Card took the offense to four scores, where that was Ewers' only score. Obviously, no. you, you, Ewers you came did. back at the end in two-minute drill through a touchdown. Well, I don't count the two minutes. To X-Man. Oh, come on now. Get the 30 yard line. Oh, come on. That's like overtime. Come on, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, too. I'd like to ask both of you guys. We both, we all three think it's probably going to be Quinn Ewers when taking yep. the first step against Louisiana Monroe. But how long or short is the leash? Because we think he went with the higher upside quarterback in Hudson Card last year. He did. You know, Four star recruit, bigger rating and billing than uh, Casey Thompson, but it lasted only two games. He looked great against uh, Louisiana in the first game and terrible against Arkansas. Boom, you're on the bench. So how long at least do you think Quinn Ewers would have, both of you? 
I'll bite, the, I'll bite the bullet here. Go ahead. Uh, people are gonna hate me for saying this, but I say it. I, I got I got credibility. I have to say it. I can think of 1.4 million reasons why <laughs> Quinn Ewers ain't getting the leash. No, I, I, I can think of 1.4 million reasons why Quinn Ewers is not gonna get the leash. If they get blown out by Alabama, so what? Yeah. That's what's supposed to happen. So that yeah, I disagree. Change my Hudson Card might get to play, but Quinn Ewers is going to have every opportunity to he be will. the starting quarterback. Are we you agree. leaving? But that's what they do now. They leave. But they but leave. Clark can't care about him leaving. He got to care about winning. It's not about, he's, Hudson. He's it's not about Hudson. It's not about Hudson. It's about Billings program. It's about starting yours. I think Quinn Ewers is a better quarterback overall. Probably is. I do too. And I think Probably he's going to win the job. And they'll, yeah. and they'll beat uh, ULM in the opener. Sure. But if you're asking me today if they're going to beat Alabama, I'm going to say no because of Alabama. Even though Alabama lost, what, seven draft picks. They reload. They don't They don't rebuild. But if he struggles against Alabama, I don't think that Sark's going to do what he did to Hudson Card last season. Because one thing about Hudson Card is he looked like a deer caught in headlights in, at Arkansas. He did. And I don't I – and we don't know if Quinn Ewers – we know we go. We know about arm talent, but hell, Jeff George had a good arm, so we don't know mentally what's going to happen when those real bullets start flying. But I'm telling you right now, on on Wednesday, May fourth, May the fourth be with you. The Queen yours, it's gonna it's gonna take a lot for Queen yours to lose that job. He's gonna have to serve up four or five picks to lose his job. Well, Hudson didn't have four or five picks against Arkansas. Hudson looked scared though. He looks scared. Involved. He looks scared. Oh, I know. And he obviously didn't see anything he liked, so he pulled the trigger and went with an injured Casey Thompson for the next 10 starts. I don't, Rod B., what do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying Sark's on the hot seat, but he can't have another five and seven season. Yeah, no, I agree. He's got to have – he's got to show much more improvement in year two, and I don't know what that is defined as. Everybody's got their own definition of that. Uh, right. But I do think that, you know, I think Quinn Ewers will be given – a very long leash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the mistake, the calculated, you know, risk, I think that Sark made last year that that failed him. He assumed that his offense would run on schedule mm-hmm. and that he, you know, basically that his quarterback would have time to operate and execute the offense. And then what he found out was because of that offensive line <laughs> that and, and and he found out it, it, it's because of the offensive line, but he also had some you know some some wide receiver issues too, right? Because the depth sure. at wide receiver when Jordan Whittington went down and the Joshua Moore thing, so X Man became the only wide receiver. So I get that, but the passing game was severely uh, hindered because of their inability to pass protect. So Hudson Card, the way he operates as a quarterback, right? He's a quarterback that's you know progression read quarterback wants to sit in the pocket. And I think that Sark told those guys. Remember Sark, he, he almost mocks dual threat quarterbacks, right? Yeah, or like using your quarterback in the run game. Right? Every time y'all ask about it, he's like, oh, that's not really what we do. We don't do that. You know what I mean? He mocks it. So I think Hudson he was a Clark, pocket been, passer. Yeah. He's a pocket passer. I think he's been that those guys have been told, hey, listen, guys, you keep the play alive with your feet, but you're going to make the play with your arm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'd rather y'all do that. And I think Hudson Carr has been really listening to coach. And I think last year he did it to his detriment. Casey Thompson got in and Casey Thompson who knew this offensive line really well and knew this team really well said to himself, Oh, and a veteran player. Oh, that's not going to work. Coach. I want to scrap. Well, he didn't tell coach that, but he thought to himself, 
I'm not sitting in that pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run for eight yards. When I'm, I'm, running, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of this. As soon as that rush comes, I'm leaving. And you would see when Hudson Carver, when the rush would come, Hudson Carver would almost wait until he would get to scramble. Program. He would wait, wait too late. Yeah, and I, I think that was him almost being, and, I'm, and Shanahan talks about this all the time, you know, be coachable, but don't be a robot. Yeah. He said, I'm not perfect. I'll call a play, but hell, I'm not on the field. I don't see what's going on. If you go make the play, don't be a robot. Go be a football player. And I think at times, Hudson Carr was a robot last year. Yeah. And he had that same look on his face that Sark had on the sideline. So I think they both had that look. And yeah. I think that's why Casey Thompson saved Sark. Because Casey Thompson said, Sark, you're not going to be able to run the offense you ran at Alabama. You can't do that. It's not going to operate that effectively and efficiently. You don't have those athletes. We have too many deficiencies here. And, and Casey Thompson knew, just don't make the play that can be made. And oh, yeah. Hudson Card didn't do that. Hudson Card tried to make the play that coach told him to make. Can't do that. Don't be a robot. Be a football player. And I think now saw, he's learned. You saw that in Arkansas. I was watching on yeah. TV. Duck was at the game, and they give up like two straight sacks, and then and they pad into Sark. And he goes, oh, my God, we're terrible. <laughs> we're terrible. <laughs> and he you just found that out. Right. Yeah, I was like, I, just, I knew your line was terrible before you went to Arkansas. Why do you know? Yeah. Exactly. You know? That's my point. It took him going to Arkansas. I was like, did you not watch the film from last season? This, <laughs> I mean, we, you, any any podcast that's long on football related could have told Sark, hey, you cannot trust your O-line. Don't trust your O-line. And he trusted the O-line. Yeah, bad. He he's not, not going to go five and seven again. I'm, I'm, no. I'm going to put that out there because if he does go five and seven, He's going to be in real trouble, or worse yet, he might get another extension. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. That could happen. That could happen. Give him some more money, CDC. Remember, he's got to go. Seven again. He's got to go to Kansas. Oh, his phone is ringing. That. Oh, my God. Oh, man. After Sark now. Wow. Let's, that get, was the, fantastic. let's get the mon- monkey bite up to two million a year. Let's yeah, do that. that was I, mean, I just, I'm, I'm a cynical <laughs> SO, you know what? But I, I just, those kind of things where I'm from, man, when you, when, when you went five and seven, you didn't get you didn't get rewarded for that. And you know, one no. more thing, I was going to ask you. You mentioned X Man, and I know we're running a little short on time. You mentioned X Man, the beginning of the summer. I mean, at the beginning of the spring. I asked Xavier Worthy. I go at a presser. I go X. Um, did your phone ring in the off season? Did you um, you know anyone call asking you to want to transfer, you know, because all this NIL money's out there. Mm-hmm. I get those calls. And so I left it at that. And, of course, I, I wrote it and I got blasted. Yeah, yeah, what else is new? Yeah. But now there are reports out there that there were two six-figure offers from Power 5 teams and mm-hmm. that Texas had to match it. Yeah. So why didn't X – I mean, if that's true, why didn't X, why didn't X just say, yeah, man, the phone was ringing? Is he, is, is, is he just being a good soldier? And yeah, that's a, good, a new reality. Think, great players are being poached. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Maybe he thought it was, you know, like inappropriate, like, right, to talk about that kind of stuff. Because now, you know, this is all new. Yeah, exactly. This is all new to us. We don't really know. I mean, this is a lot of this speculation and rumor and hearsay and that kind of thing. So maybe he was just scared to bring it up and maybe, or maybe you know, maybe John Bianca them told him, hey, don't address stuff like that. And I, but I'm with you. I, it's a new it's a new era, man. It is. Uh, it's unbelievable. Free free market has truly hit uh, <laughs> amateurism. And how much, I think how, much it's money, going- how much money would you have made? Robbie, you, you're, you're one of the most charismatic, great interviews, good looking, funny, uh, great on the that, mic. Man. In 02, 
how much money are you making for a juggernaut that was a Longhorns, that was a monster that that had, that was on its way to great things? That's a great, and I keep being, yeah, I keep thinking about these questions, right? Like, what would I have done in this time, right? Did, did, in this time, do I do I go to Texas? Oh, Limer to get 50 grand a piece. 50 grand. <laughs> what are you quitting Jammer well, going to get? I would say, yeah, our DBU unit would have had its own endorsement. I mean, we probably would have had a, an Austin Bergstrom no-fly zone endorsement of some right. kind. You know, because right. we just had too many great players between Quentin Jammer, myself, Nathan Basher, Ahmad Brooks, and my Huff Daddy was in there. Say, oh, we just had great players, man. So that probably would have been an easy one, all right, right there, no-fly easy zone. Money. Yeah, I, I got to say, though, one thing that does, you know, it does kind of um, concerns me, but just thinking about, I think about it a lot is, yeah, the, you know, the motivation, you know, for the young men. I mean, I remember being, you know, like, like not starving, but I remember being hungry. hungry. Literally. I remember being hungry and taking Mm -hmm. food from the dining hall and putting it in my backpack in Tupperware. And that was the food I was going to eat later on because I didn't have bread to go get food like that. That was part of the journey. That was part of the hustle, the grind. And I, and I, I was sitting up late nights thinking stomach growling, I'm, I'm, I, it's all for the league. This is all I, I gotta, you know what I mean? I gotta commit myself to it. This is part of it. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't, you don't get to, you don't get to accomplish your goals in a comfortable setting. You got to get outside your comfort zone. You got to suffer for them. You got to commit to them. And that, that I, you know, I kind of accepted that mindset and embraced that mindset, embraced the suck. It was going to suck. Right, it's going to suck for a while, but wait till I make it to that league. They're going to call my name. And then I'm going to think about these days and I'm going to remember the, the character all right, that 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 was able to develop over that time because of that, because I had those stories. And so I I, yeah, I worry about the young men if they, you know, I'm not sure. I want them to get their money. I want them to get their money and go. But I, I had a lot of growth during that time and a lot of growth. And hopefully that growth is different. Hopefully there's financial literacy and learn about paying your taxes early on and learn about yeah. investment and brand marketing. So hopefully it's a different type of growth. Um, but I remember that, man. And, I, you know, and these young men, they'll have to wrestle with that and also wrestle with, you know, how do you keep the competitive sickness, right? When you got, now you got, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. So you ain't hungry no more. It ain't, it ain't to feed mom and family no more. Cause you've been sending them money, but it's the short bread, fast money, go fast money, go fast, man. You know that. Oh yeah. So I hope they keep up thinking about the long money, the long money, get the degree, invest it and think about the league, man. That's what you came here for. That's what Morrow said. Yep. No, we that. I, I, trust me. Me and Morrow need to go have a drink. <laughs> I, I like it. I'm sorry. I like it. Right? Coaches. Yeah, oh, no doubt. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. No doubt. Don't you think coaches hate this, Rodby? This NIL. It's like they don't. They, they've lost control. That in the portal. You know, some guys like Lincoln Riley are going to rebuild USC. You know, probably back into a monster program. But don't you think most of the coaches kind of hate the uncertainty, the roster churn? You know, I got to keep all my players happy. I got to keep recruiting them while they're in my program. Do you think they hate it, Rod? Yeah, they do. I know. I know they do, but uh, yeah. it's the new reality. Um, you, yeah. you know, you have to, ch- I think they have to change up their, their approach and their ta- their coaching tactics now with the young people, because they do have more power, more opportunity, more freedom, and coaches aren't accustomed to that. So I, I think some coaches will thrive in it because some coaches will be able to adapt and adjust very easily. And some coaches are just, it's, it's going to uh, eventually overwhelm them. Uh, the amount of player freedom and the roster turnover. Uh, I, my concern would be, like I said, building a culture is probably my biggest concern. 
and uh, the attrition rates on either side. I think every program now is going to have high attrition rates. It used right. to be something that would stand out, but now I think everybody's going to have high attrition rates just because players have the ability to leave um, and play somewhere else without suffering the penalty of a one time having to sit out one year. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Rob, man, it's always a pleasure. We could talk all day, but we'll yes, get you back sometime before the season. Check him out on 104.9 The Horn. Ball Don't Lie with Mike Hardich. Weekdays, 3 to 7. Rob, thank you, brother. We appreciate it. On Second Thought. Duck, always good to chop it up with Rod B. And now let's let's chop it up with, with the fourth Beatle or the third Beatle, fifth Beatle. It's Danny Davis, friend of the podcast. Uh, Beatmaster extraordinary. He's got like eight beats. Uh, mm-hmm. But the one that he's, the primary one right now is baseball. And we were all at that series Three win, three three wins were possible, and or maybe two. The one I was at was just dreadful. That was, that was dreadful. But ten eight the first night, fourteen three the second game, and then they what was it seven no eight six I'm sorry eight six first Friday. game fourteen three, and then they're up seven nothing, and you and I'll let you guys take it from here because I know you were writing lovely proses at that time you start to get you start to write when there's a blowout of foot and i'll let you you take it from there danny what happened in that seventh inning after that um i deleted the first story i wrote that happened in the seventh <laughs> inning i think i deleted the second story i wrote in the seventh inning and i mean it was just a remarkable collapse that i don't think anyone from the press box, the Texas dugout, probably even the Oklahoma State dugout. You know, I'm sure Kirk and I talked to Josh um, afterwards. And I'm sure that was a confident group, but I don't know if they're that confident that they were going to um, come back from a seven nothing game in which they were just getting their butts kicked uh, against a top ten team, and they managed to do it. So I don't think anyone saw that coming, but it happened, and um, it was pretty baffling to witness. Yeah, I don't know. When's the last time I saw a 10-run inning? We've uh, seen a lot of baseball, Doug. I mean, it's I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but goodness, it was just and I think Danny described it adequately. He went from a glowing feature on Lucas Gordon, who pitched out of his mind. Oh my best, God, he was great. Oh, best game great. in a long uniform. He was just was you know, best just day ever. His bullpen just can't stop the bleeding. And before we talk about Lucas, Danny, uh I wonder should that should they give more uh, pitches to LeBaron Johnson and Marcus Oliveras, uh, Lucas Harrison, because some of these guys just aren't getting it done, including Aaron Nixon. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know what David is seeing and David and Sean are seeing in practices during the week. Um, I think they're trying to ramp LeBaron up. Um, you know, I, I think it was a couple weeks ago that he got his first two inning appearance. Um, so I think they're trying to work him up and get him more innings. Um, Marcus was, was good last night in that dreadful um, Houston Baptist uh, (laughs) game. Um, And, you know, Lucas had a lot of good appearances, but he's also had some rough appearances and been been a part of that bullpen problems on, on some, on some evenings. So, you know, I'm sure David and Sean have a reason why those guys haven't, you know, been in starring roles and why they felt more comfortable with, 
Aaron Nixon out, out there, despite all the problems that Aaron Nixon has had. But um, I think at some point with the, the way this bullpen's going, which I'm sure we're going to talk plenty about, um, you know, those guys are going to need to be trusted in the postseason because they need some answer out there and someone, someone is going to have to step up. So, you know, those three are definitely candidates to do that mm-hmm. down the road, I, I would assume. They just seem so tentative throwing. And when we asked David, it's like they just weren't challenging hitters. And boy, he jumped all over that and said, yeah, you're absolutely right. Nobody came close to challenge. They're like nibbling at the plate and trying to hit corners rather than challenging people. And it was not a, not a good look. And, uh, and I wrote uh, my nine things this week. They should bump Lucas Gordon up to number two because Tristan Stevens is not pitched like he did last year when he led the league in 11 wins. So I don't know, you think that may be a distinct possibility, Danny, when they go to West Virginia this weekend? Well, I think it may be a possibility at West Virginia just because Tristan pitched last night. So they may need to just bump him, bump him back a day. But yeah, I think at this point, you kind of kind of also have five. But I don't know. Five, but yeah. They may still just bump him back a day just because he had to ramp up and um, yeah. you know, those innings or those pitches, even though they're five, are a little different than a bullpen session. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think at this point, you got to all start, you know, thinking about the postseason and where exactly you want to slot right. these pitchers in the postseason. And, you know, if I'm managing this team, which is, which I'm not, um, you know, I almost think, you know, I don't know if I want Tristan in that third spot just because I may want Tristan. You know, I may want him pitching the opener of a, re- of a regional so he's can bounce back and be ready for that third or fourth game. And mm-hmm. I may want to save Lucas for that third or fourth game just because of how well he's pitching. And, you know, conceivably, that third or fourth game would be either an elimination game or, you know, a championship game. So I think you got to also kind of think ahead and not um, – you know, there's only two more series in this, um, you know, regular season. So I don't know if uh, – a swap is something that needs to be done. I think you got to also start thinking about how you're going to configure your postseason rotation. And, you know, they may be better off just leaving it as it is and not, um, you know, putting Tristan in that third spot. What do you, you know, think? I, I wrote this, um, you know, we'd, we'd been calling it a, a bullpen slump for some weeks now. It's not a slump. It's who they are. And, and it's surprising that this is who they are. They're a bad bullpen and uh, with big arms. I was I was listening to the game on Sunday and and man, I'm gonna tell you, Greg Swindell and Keith Moreland, those guys are Longhorn. They 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 bleed burnt orange, but but they're real. They're real. When it comes to to talking about what's going on in that field and and Swindell said it and during that seventh inning, he goes he goes when that gate opens. You got to go in there ready to throw strikes. And these guys are not ready to throw strikes. And you could just see that the that the uh, Oklahoma State players were like, I'm not swinging on, on the first pitch. I'm going to make I'm going to make you make you make this a two and two count. And, and, and all the walks and the and, and the body language is bad. Jared Southard's body language was horrible. Coy Cobb, Cobb looked like he just wanted no part of that. Right. And, 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 then, and then you look up and, and Dorshing's hitting a grand slam. His, I think, what, his third homer of the weekend? He hit a three-run bomb when I was there. So uh, I'm just like, this can't be real life. That's a, it's still a pitcher's ballpark. It's still Dishwalk Field, and it still Texas baseball. 
When is the last time the pitching has been this bad? I'm going to ask you, Duck. You've seen a couple games. Oh, I don't know, 1979 maybe when they didn't make the Southwest Conference Tournament. And and I don't know if it is dish falk anymore. I was talking to uh, Greg Swindell and Keith Moreland before the game, and we could never remember the wind blowing out the left field. As often as it has. All year it seems like. It's always kind of blown in from there and made it more of a pitcher's part. But I don't know. I just think, uh, like you said, Daddy, talking about you want to get your rotation set, but – I just don't think Tristan's pitching with any confidence now. And if you could, if you could go into West Virginia and you get a really good performance out of him and Pete the first two games, and and hopefully you win those two games, that would relax Tristan, take some pressure off. So I don't know if you can be thinking about a third or fourth game in the regionals where and like Aaron Nixon, he's lost so much trust in him probably after the Friday night debacle that he didn't even go to him Sunday. Did that surprise you, Danny? No. I mean, he pitched on, he pitched plenty on, yeah. on Friday and, yeah. you know, had to take that loss. And I'm not surprised. I mean, you need to kind of use your other guys. You can't just keep relying on Aaron and, you know, if Aaron keeps struggling, that's just going to, this team needs Aaron Nixon for the postseason, plain and simple. And I don't know if you want to have him. The wheels were off on on Sunday, and I don't know if you just wanted to throw a struggling pitcher even further into that fire. Um, someone had to, you know, get the outs, and you know they had five guys with a chance to do it. I guess fresh four. arms, fresh arms. And after Lucas, all were fresh, and none of them could do it. So. Um, I'm not surprised that Aaron wasn't asked to, and it was also the seventh inning. Remember it wasn't, you know, late in the game. It wasn't like this was the eighth or the ninth. So, I mean, at some point other guys have to step up um, mm-hmm. and cause you're not going to make a postseason run as good as Pete Hansen is. Pete can't give you nine every single postseason game. Lucas Gordon is not going to give you. Mm-hmm. No, you, know, you can need them. Seven, yeah. eight. Um, you know, Tristan Stevens, if he bounces back, um, and pitches like you did last year is not going to give you eight, nine every time out. So, I mean, these guys are going to have to step up. They're going to need other arms um, in this bullpen. And, you know, they trotted out four different guys in that seventh inning um, after Lucas left the game and none of them could get it done. So we'll see going forward. Um, some if the LBJs or the Marcus Oliveras, the Luke, the Luke Harrisons, if those guys can, you know, step in and get it done, but it definitely was not the case. Uh, this past weekend, although, you know, to be fair, that Oklahoma State team's good. Um, that was a Very really good top, you know, 10, now top three teams. So, you know, maybe they just had a bad weekend against a really good team. But unfortunately, that's also kind of been a recurring trend. Um, even last night against Houston Baptist, they threw seven pitchers. Um, four of them were good. Three of them, you know, struggled. So, um, you know, even against a bad team like Houston Baptist, not, you know, the, the the wheels aren't all clicking at the same time. Well, let, let, I, I got to ask you about this, Daniel. Um, so a sweep of Texas means Oklahoma State moves moves up to number three in the country. But a loss to a good Oklahoma State team means Texas is drummed from number 10 all the way out of the top 25. What did you think about that? Because I was like, I know they're underachieving. Don't get me wrong. And no one, we've all written that. They're underachieving. But you that's still a top 25 team. 
And I don't know of any team in the country that wants Texas coming into their ballpark with those bats because they just need a little bit of pitching and and then they still can go to Omaha. Yeah, I mean, I think we all um, know that was an overcorrection. Um, maybe <clears throat> D1 had overrated them the week before and they shouldn't have been ranked 10th. Um, but, you know, going from 10 to unranked is a dramatic fall, especially when you consider the team they lost to is now ranked third in your poll. It wasn't like they lost to Kansas or Kansas State. Um, you know, that was a really good ball team that they swept in two of those games. It wasn't like they were all that 13 to four game. Um, two of them, Texas, you know, was either leading or tied late. So um, it was an overcorrection. Um, D1 had their you know, postseason projections um, out today. And they're a number two seed in the 15 in LSU, which is their 15 overall seed. So if you kind of do the math, that means Texas's overall seed wise is 18th. So it doesn't really make sense how they're 18 in your postseason projections, but unranked in your polls. But I'll also say this, um, you know, polls are subjective and polls are not fun. Um, <laughs> I think I've said on this before, I have an AP ballot for women's basketball it is probably the thing that I hate to do the most. Um, there's no. Kirk has an AP for football, and it's the thing he loves to do the most. He's an insane man. He um, is. He's crazy. He's crazy. There's no right answer. There's no correct way to do a poll. It's impossible to watch all these teams, even though Kendall was at the game on uh, Kendall Rogers um, was at the game on on Friday. So we did see one of the games in this series. And, you know, you're never going to make anyone happy. And there's no, you know, if, if Texas was. 20th, 20th in that poll instead of unranked, you know, there'd still be some Texas fans complaining. There'd still be some, you know, Texas haters saying they're overranked. Um, there is no, I don't envy the job that those guys have to do. And I'm never going to be one to, you know, try to criticize it too much because I don't want to do that job. Um, and I don't know the perfect place to rank Texas, but I do think it was probably a little bit of an overcorrection or um, an admission that they were wrong the week before when they had Texas 10th. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it didn't make sense to me, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm, I'm someone who believes if you can, and I, I would say this for someone who complains about the job we do, if you think you can do a better job, you should do it yourself. <laughs> and, um, I have no intention of doing a top 25 poll in baseball. So I'm going to leave that to them. And, you know, you know, we'll talk to David about this tomorrow, whenever we see him at the media availability and the players, but maybe, maybe they like this. Maybe it'll, it'll be nice. Maybe they can play a little bit loose and a little bit. You know, they won't have that much pressure on them without that. He, they'll always have a target because they're Texas, but maybe they'll be a little bit looser now that they don't have that rank and they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder now. So maybe, maybe, they, maybe they like that, um, but we'll, we'll see. All right, let's keep it real. We know, we know they're probably not going to host. I probably. mean, there's a chance, but they're probably not going to host. Now, Danny, the good news is they're not going to be sent to the Alamo Bowl. I, I know that. They're not being sent to the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> You're the beat writer, and there are some really po nice possibilities out there. Where, where do you think the Longhorns might end up? I I would like to see you at Sunken Diamond for a weekend. That is a great place to watch a baseball game, Stanford. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at projections today, like I just mentioned, and Texas was D1 hasn't gone to Baton Rouge, which would be nice, I guess, since we missed out oh, on the great. football trip a couple yes, years sir. ago. And um, obviously those LSU, um, fans love their baseball. And I know Ooh, um, our friend, uh, Joe cook went out there a couple years ago when they were playing a non-conference, um, 
series out there. And he still talks about how crazy that environment was. I think that was the 2018 um, season. So that, that'd be fun. Um, Baseball America today has them as surprising as the number three seed in the college station regional. Um, you know, that's sexy. I, oh my God. That's sexy. That's where I'd love to see him go. I mean, that would that's, be, that's, that's, that's like Halle Berry. Sexy. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer not to be driving the college station every day, but that's just a, uh, that's just you get a hotel. Daniel Statesman will will pick up the bill for that hotel. Daniel. We should all go. We should get a we should get a complex and all go. I mean, that would be such a fun regional. And you know, I mean, you got. I was looking at the D one baseball projection. They had Texas State as a two seed at Stillwater, and they had TCU a two seed at A and M. And like you said, Baseball America had them going to College Station. I mean, can you imagine if? Yeah, Texas and A&M and Texas State all in the same regional at, at College Station. How juicy that'd be. I'm sure the, the Aggies would love that just because that's uh, that's three straight days of nothing but nothing but sellouts. I mean, that'd be, a, yeah. you know, regardless of the matchups, those would be. They'd love it, but would they well. love it? They, <laughs> the Aggies <laughs> hate losing to Texas. They just, more than they love beating Texas. I mean, right. they, yeah, that, that might be a lose-lose for them. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I just, I just want to go anywhere where, you know, my, my thing about the, the postseason, and this is completely selfish and no one who's listening to this cares about this, but I just want to go somewhere where they're equipped to host a regional. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we've, had, we've all kind of gotten spoiled by that dish folk um, press box life and knowing that you have a seat no matter how many, even if they cram the press box full, you know, there's somewhere to, for you to, there's an outlet for you and a seat for you. And, a couple of years ago when they went to Long Beach, you know, I was outside the entire time and those nights uh, got a little chilly and um, you, you're sitting next to some fan who's had a, had a couple too many to drink and, you know, won't sit down. It's a little bit, a little bit obnoxious and, you know, even, you know, college station. I mean, that's not a big, big press box. I went there a couple of years ago and I think there was one, two, one or two of us visiting media members who were allowed in the box and everyone else had to be, be outside. So, yeah, I just kind of hope wherever, Texas goes that they do end up not hosting that there's at least a, a seat for me in the press box. I've gotten spoiled. So that's uh, not too much. It's not too much. No, it's good. I don't know. Uh, I don't guess you're going to Morgantown to see West Virginia play. I was looking at West Virginia stats. They've got 135 stolen bases uh, in 168 attempts. They got five of the top nine base dealers in the big 12, Uh, but they're only eighth in hitting. They're only hitting 265, so it's not a, a great offensive team. So, but I think, like said, said maybe, or you said, Danny, maybe they'll go in and lose and and like, okay, we're probably not going to host. Let's just have fun, play baseball. Uh, but they haven't done well, West Virginia. I think they're like two and seven at West Virginia. I know they've never won a series there, so maybe going in loose is the, is the the best approach. What do you think? I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like you said, their history at West Virginia isn't um, great. But at the same time, you know, that's a beautiful thing. I think about college baseball is history really doesn't matter. Um, you know, you're going somewhere every two years. Right. So chances are a lot of these players have never experienced West Virginia, especially since two years ago was that pandemic season. So yeah. if someone like yeah. a Mitch Daly has never played out there, you know, some of these uh, just I don't think Pete Hansen's ever pitched um, out in West Virginia. So, I mean, a lot of these guys, if you're not Tristan Stevens have never been out to Morgantown before. So, um, I think that, you know, 
the history really doesn't matter. It just matters, um, you know, how Silas can do behind the plate if they're going to be run, trying to run on him. And he's right. you know, had some ups. He's had some a lot of ups when it's come to throwing out runners. He's also had some had some downs. Um, you know, Oklahoma um, that one of those games in Globe Life like sold like five or six bases on him. Um, so you know, a lot's going to be on him. Um, and then at the end, you save West Virginia's you know eighth and hitting or whatever, but you know, where's this bullpen rank? So we'll, we'll see, um, <laughs> you know, how, how they do against a team, but, you know, this could be a weekend, this could be a get right weekend if things, you know, go correctly for Texas and maybe they come back with, you know, some confidence. They have a short week next week with um, finals week. So maybe they can kind of just get a little bit of confidence going to that Kansas series in two weeks ago, then all of a sudden it's the postseason, and we'll see what's going, but you know, West Virginia, I don't think anyone on that Texas team is going in there expecting a sweep and, you know, going in, you know, too, you know, too swagged out or thinking that the Mountaineers are just going to lay down. They are, you know, looking up at the Mountaineers in the big 12 standings right now. And West Virginia is probably playing, even though Texas is in sixth place, you know, their postseason fate is kind of assumed at this point. So, but West Virginia is still kind of playing for positioning and to kind of ensure their, postseason um you know standing so both teams have something to play for and it should be a competitive and good good series for the folks uh, i guess scott wilson will be out there but for any other <laughs> texas fan that makes the trip yeah i see scott wilson didn't get a little tv time on longhorn network i saw on sunday <laughs> yeah, did not look much- happy from his from his uh uh season tickets perch yeah, they're listed as uh, West Virginia is the third seed going to Virginia Tech Regional, and they're eleven and four at home. So you know, nine and six in the standings, like you said, Danny. So uh, uh, I don't know. I, I'm if you're if you're the biggest Longhorn fan in the world, you're thinking, okay, just win two, win the series, and maybe sweep Kansas and do some. They ain't sweeping anybody. Yeah, Kansas, they can sweep them at home. I mean, maybe. they've won six maybe. series. They beat TCU, which was the league leader a week ago, and they've fallen off, didn't look good against Florida State, and they've beaten Oklahoma. So they've beaten good teams before. They beat Tennessee, number one in the nation, had four losses all year. We know it's there. But are they fractured beyond repair? Because That's a good question. After a while, it's in your head, and it's a mental game. Yeah. I truly believe this Texas team can beat any team in the nation. I, I also believe that they can lose to any team in the nation. Like yeah. that's a bad feeling. Yeah. That is a bad feeling when you're uh, in any other year. This is this this is supposed to be the greatest season mm-hmm. in a long time because of what the sheer monstrosity of their offense. They are a beastly offense that is as good as any that I've ever seen in college mm-hmm. baseball. Power average. I defense. mean. This, Defense. Even David said he goes. I'm not bunning because my I've got so many guys that can swing, and so. Right. But you see, you see all of that. You see, you see Melendez and and, and Staley and Faltini at a home run. He, he's still struggling, but yeah, you see those is. guys. Austin Todd coming around. They are 21 and 16 yeah. since starting the season 11 and 0. I just never would have saw that. I never would have envisioned that. Yeah, that's that's what's so weird about it, and I think we can't overemphasize the loss of Tanner Witt, uh, Tommy surgery, because you know last year, you know he and Quintanilla were the bridge to Nixon in the ninth, and they've lost that bridge. They don't have a good, well, they don't have any good relievers right now, but they don't have that setup player, and 
uh, or players where they can get to Nixon in the ninth. It just he's just kind of a patchwork as he's looking for arm. But I, I think Harrison, LeBaron Johnson, you know, they deserve a shot. I mean, Josh Stewart's kind of falling apart, and Duplantier hadn't got together, and so. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him try some new people and maybe even juggle that rotation, you know, in Morgantown. So, but, uh, but once again, you know, even if you juggle it, that rotation is that rotation. Those, those are your three guys. You know, they're real. Just real. Even if you swap that Sunday, Saturday, I mean, it's, it's Pete, it's Tristan or Lucas, and then it's Tristan or Lucas. I mean, that's your three and four step up behind them. You are who you are at this time of the season. And, and there is still a talented pitching staff. They just haven't yeah. pitched like it. Yeah. And um, it's not, a, like I said before, it's not a slump. This is who they are. Can they be better? Sure. But, but there, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of game tape out there and they've got guys that don't come in with a bulldog mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, I don't see swagger. I don't see arrogance. No, there's I don't not. see confidence on that mound. I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do think it's interesting in, you know, we can probably talk about this more later once the tournament starts, but you know, I like Texas's chances if they make a super regional. Hell yeah. You need to win twice. Yeah. And exactly. you know, you it's an go, offensive game still. You can yeah. go Pete and you can go, you know, hell, you can do what they did in 2018. And when they pitched um Chase and Blair the same day and like we'll figure it out in game three. I mean, you can you know, pitch Tristan, you can pitch Lucas in the same day and you know, do a, do a Patrick. I'm, you know, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm more concerned about, you know, how do you win a regional when you have to win three, we have to win at least three times and maybe win right. four if you, if you lose um, in that double elimination format. So I think I'd be, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm more concerned about a regional than I am a super regional just because, you know, so you have enough pitching to win twice. It's just a matter of whether or not you can, right. you know, win three, three or four times. And um, yeah, I don't know if this Texas team is equipped to do that right, right now. That's knowledge, yeah. Daniel. That's knowledge. If you, if, if, if Texas wins in the regional round, I'm, I'm picking them going to Omaha. You and Duck are going to Omaha. I mean, that's there. If they win the regional, they figure that out. Then you have to believe that the mm-hmm. confidence that they glean from that is going to be enough to carry them against anybody in a super regional. Yeah. Anybody in the country. That's how good they are on offense. Yeah. Winning winning three or four games, that's that could be problematic. You're right, Danny. And uh, they might have a better now you'd be playing a better opponent in that super regional. But just winning two versus winning four, you know, it makes all the difference in the world. So and I don't know. I just, you know, I've covered baseball for 20 years as 20, a beat come on. 20? As, as a beat writer. Yeah, but then you've been writing columns yeah. for another 20. So let's, let's 40, 40. 40, 45 years. But I mean, like I said, I've never seen a team hit like this. Mm-hmm. And, and their defense is darn good. Oh, they're fun. Yeah. They're so fun. And, and it, just, it hurts me because we, we like David yeah. Pierce. We, yeah. I, I get a big kick out of DP. And it just hurts me to, I mean, that look on his face on Saturday, he just, and then on Sunday, he's worn down. And who could blame him? Because yeah. he's put together a machine, an offensive juggernaut. Right. And and the one area that you can always depend on with Texas baseball has let him down. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and they just look like they're not having fun. And like when Danny and I were there Sunday, once they gave up that 10 spot and we're down 10 to 7, 
to me, it felt like 15 to 7. You know, Possibly I mean, been 20 to 7. Texas just stopped hitting. They, I think they had like two hits the last either five innings or six innings, you know, all those home solo shots. So really shock. But uh yeah, that's to why. be fair, I don't think anyone, unless you were in that visiting bullpen or you were six years old and able to run the bull, the bases afterwards was having fun um at the <laughs> ballpark on Sunday. And that included uh me and you. My 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 big question for you guys is uh is David ever going to come on your all's podcast again? Because it kind of went uh, went south for 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 his team after he came on last last week. And uh, don't do that, does Danny? Don't do that. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think it would just be me to talk about the the, the doom <laughs> and gloom because that's what I've been on here to do the last a couple of times. And DP comes on to talk about the resurgence, and it uh, goes. Hey, uh, quick, you're quick, saying quick, we need down. to get him on. We need to get him on after if West Virginia sweeps him, we got to get DP on. And, because Danny's is tired of doom and gloom. I tried to send you to Stanford, and you're talking about doom and gloom. There's no way. Tried to send me to College Station. So. <laughs> Our budget can only afford you driving somewhere. Okay. Oh man, what's the mileage from here to Palo Alto? Wow, know, it's, it's a little steep. Be renting a car if that's the case. <laughs> but man, we appreciate it, Danny. The Longhorns, thirty-two and sixteen, ninety-nine in the Big Twelve. They're in six, but they can move up if they can get a win, a series win over the Mountaineers, Mountain Mama. It's going to be it's going to be raucous up there. Um, it will. We won't be there, but we'll definitely be talking about it next week. Danny, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you, bud. Well, that's going to do it for episode two fifty nine. Big thanks to Daniel Davis and then the great Rob Babers. We are going to do it again next week for the Duck, for Danny. I'm Sad Golden. We'll see you at the game. You've been listening to One Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Sad and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.